0: So it goes back to that question of what would it look like? What would my life look like? What would the world look like if I were okay just being me? And when I say that, I mean, I don't mean we don't change. I don't mean that we don't grow. But we change by becoming more of who we were meant to be. We change by claiming and owning, refining, defining more of who we are. Instead of chasing some figment of this person that we thought we should be or that our parents said we should be or our girlfriend or boyfriend wanted us to be. Instead of just claiming and owning who we are. All grown up. Hey everybody, this is Paul Goni, and welcome to another episode of the All Grown Up Podcast. Uh, in this podcast, we talk about your 20s, your 30s, Adulting, just because it's it's incredibly hard, it's confusing, it's ambiguous, and it's also incredibly important. So each episode, I tackle a secret, I tackle a question, I tackle a lie that we're believing, and that's the episode. And uh, if you don't know, who I am I'm Paul Ingoni. I've written books like 101 Secrets for Your 20s, 101 Questions for Your 20s. My whole life is about this time of life because I feel like it is your defining decade that Meg Jay talked about. I feel like it's this incredibly crucial, important decade of your life. And if we get off course now, then how far off path are we going to go? I've met too many 50s, 60s, 70 somethings who started asking the important questions too late. They just kind of went with the flow, just get promoted into a job I hate. You're not supposed to ask these questions. Just do the work, be quiet, keep going. And then 50 60 70s come along and they start asking themselves, what. Well, Why Why did I never do anything that I actually wanted to do? Why did I never ask myself these hard questions about who am I? What do I want to do? What do I want out of this life? Why didn't I ask that sooner? So that's why I'm so passionate about this topic, this decade and talking about. So the question we're going to tackle today is what would my life look like if I were okay just being me? What were what would my life look like if I was just okay being me, being who I am, being the way that I am designed, leveraging that, understanding that, owning it, honing it, and then taking it to the world? And I I learned this, or I I thought about this question, or I learned the importance of this question in a very dramatic way when I was working at a ranch in Colorado. You maybe have heard me tell this story before, maybe you haven't, but I was a wrangler at this ranch called Deer, Deer Valley Ranch. This amazing place, magical place near Buena Vista, Colorado. Buena Vista, but the, the locals call it Buni. Buena Vista. Uh, it's surrounded by these 14,000-foot peaks, the Collegiate Peaks, uh, just in this gorgeous Rocky Mountains of Colorado, breathtaking environment. And me and seven other guys, we lived in a bunkhouse all together. Let me just tell you, it smelled more often than not. Uh, because we were working in the barn with all these horses, about 100 horses and mules that we worked with. Uh, and we come back and all share one bathroom. So you can imagine that the smells were a little ripe. Uh, but anyway, we worked at this ranch together and we would take people out on horseback rides. That was our main job. So we take them out on these trail rides. Have you ever been on a trail ride before? Probably most of you have. You get excited. I'm going to go ride a horse. You're kind of picturing the old westerns. John Wayne getting on the horse and just running through the open field, flying through trees just, just soaking it all up cowboy style. And then you go on the trail ride and it's kind of boring, right? You're just in a line of horses following the horse's large posterior in front of you that apparently has not pooped or peed in forever. And so they do it all on the trail. And so it's just one horse after another going to the bathroom And the Wrangler, the the person in charge, the guy or gal in charge, usually their one job is to just try to make this ride as non-eventful as possible. I mean, they're probably just going through the motions. They've been on that trail a million times. And all they want to do is get everybody home back safe. If you enjoy it, if you don't, I don't know. Just Let's just get home. I don't want an adventure today. Because as a Wrangler, you learn two things pretty quickly. You learn one, horses are... Pretty skittish, actually. I mean, they're they're these strong, just mammoth, gorgeous animals. And then a little plastic bag comes blowing across their face on a trail. And they freak out like that bag was sent from Satan himself to come and terrorize this horse. Or a little bunny pops out. And you would think that horse saw a bunny carrying a machine gun that was trying to take the horse out. Because they will jump and they will run because that's the way they're designed to, to live, to survive. They they have that instinct to run away from danger, not to fight the danger, to run. So you learn that pretty quickly. You also learn that horses, they like to race. That's why a wrangler puts horses uh, one after another in a line, because they will follow each other. They do like to follow each other. But if you get them side by side, those natural competitive instincts come out and they will want to race. So those two facts I learned kind of the, difficult, the hard way on this one uh, journey, this one adventure. So me and my two friends, two other wranglers, we decided to go out on a ride just with ourselves. A wrangler ride. Because most of the day, every day, we're just taking people on rides. It's boring. We're just trying to keep everybody safe. So sometimes we just wanted a ride for us and just do all the crazy things that we would never let a guest do. And part of our job as wranglers is we were always trying to break in horses as well. Uh, We were trying to make horses guest ready. So not break them, but just get them comfortable with a rider on their back. Some of the horses we got had some problems. And you learn as well that horses, they all have their own little quirks, just like people. They have their own things. You know, we had one horse that uh, she would be going along just fine and then all of a sudden she'd freeze. Just literally freeze. And you couldn't move her. She'd go into a catatonic state. Her tail wouldn't move. She'd barely blink. Flies would be buzzing on her. She would not budge. Five minutes, ten minutes, she'd be sitting there on this horse just frozen. Blondie, this beautiful horse. And you'd be there with riders and you'd be trying to get the horse to go, just rubbing her shoulders, whispering sweet things into her ear. Just please, Blondie, please just let us go. We have to get home. All these people are starting to freak out because I'm on a statue horse. And then all of a sudden, Blondie would snap out of it and just start running. Just literally from statue catatonic state to just full dead sprint in a matter of a second and all of a sudden you're just holding on for dear life but you couldn't stop her because if you stopped her again she would freeze again so you just had to let it go you just had to let her run and you're just yelling back at your people that you're leading on this ride come on hurry up catch up we're going don't stop leave the kids who cares just let's go no i know i would never say that but anyway we're on a ride with some Wrangler horses, some kind of crazy horses that we're trying to get ready for guests. Me and my friend John and Scott, we go out on this ride. So we're flying. I mean, we're just letting the horses go, just running. And we're playing tag on horseback ride. On, on horseback, playing tag. If, you, uh, if you're if you thinking this is a good idea, obviously you're probably not thinking that. Because everybody knows that's a pretty terrible idea to play tag while riding horses. But we were foolish we have all this pent-up energy, so that's what we're doing. So we're chasing each other through trees, on this horse going flying through, and we're trying to tag each other, literally like leaning off your saddle, halfway off your horse, trying to tag the other guy. So we're going through this for a while, and we run a you know, mile, mile and a half away from the ranch, and our horses are hot. Uh, they're breathing heavy. They're sweating. They're panting. We get up on the top of this hill. We've had a couple close calls. Or we've barely missed these big branches, you know. You barely missed your head getting taken off, or guys almost flying off, or horses almost spooking and throwing us off. I mean, just a lot of close calls. So we get on top of this hill, and our friend Scott, who was the uh, the smarter one of the bunch, let's be honest, he looks at us and he's like, "Let's calm down. I think we've taken it too far. We've had a couple close calls. Let's just kind of slow the horses down and go back towards the ranch." Because you also learned pretty quickly as a wrangler that horses have a different speed. They have a different kind of uh, motivation when they know they're going back home, back to food, back to their little horsey friends. They're way more excited to go that direction than they were when you're trying to take them away from their food and their horsey friends. So they will go so much faster when they're going towards the ranch. So you usually don't want to have the horses run back to the ranch Or what will happen is they will get used to that. And next thing you know, a guest is on that horse. You're pointing back towards the ranch. And then all of a sudden the horse takes off. Uh, Barn sour is what we would call it. So anyway, Scotts, he's the smart one. He's the calm one. He's the brains of the bunch. He says, let's calm down. John and I look at each other. We are not the smart ones. We think we're invincible. We're in college. We look at each other, just give each other a grin And we just give our horse just a little squeeze. I mean, just a barely a squeeze with our heels uh, on the horse's side. And our horses take off running. And I'm riding Hondo. Uh, I forget who John was riding, but he was riding some other crazy horse. And our horses are running side by side. And they're flying. And they're doing that thing where they're looking at each other. And they're like, okay, yeah, you think you're faster than me? You want a piece of me? You think you're faster than me? You, they're, apparently they're Italian horses now This is my Italian accent Even though I'm Italian I don't have a very good Italian accent But they're like You want a piece of me? You think you're faster than me? <laughs> anyway, they're flying They're flying They're going so fast And all of a sudden John's horse we're, I'm pulling away Just a little bit I'm just getting a little bit away And we're side by side We're flying down this hill And his horse headbutts my horse in the hip So hit hits my horse And like I said before, horses are naturally skittish. They want to run away from danger. So when he hits my horse on the hip, my horse takes off into a whole nother level. I mean, sixth gear to the extreme that I did not know a horse could go. So my horse takes off. I mean, I thought I was going fast before. This is like light year Star Trek type thing. Warp speed. So I am flying now. And I get through all these trees. I don't see John anywhere now. I'm just flying. And I'm going so fast. I'm like, I'm trying to pull back on the reins to slow Hondo down. And Hondo is just biting on to the bit. And he's basically saying, you're not stopping me. So we are flying through this field. Big open field. Beautiful country. Pine trees all around. And we're flying. And I have no control whatsoever. I'm just holding on. So as we're going through this field and just everything's whizzing past, I start seeing this ravine coming up in the middle of the field. Now, in my memory, this ravine is like a Grand Canyon-esque ravine. It's gigantic. It's huge. Uh, I'm going to die. But I know that Hondo's not going to stop. I'm pulling back. He's not going to stop. So our only one option is to go over this. Now, in reality, this is probably more like a ditch. It's not Grand Canyon-esque at all. But as we're flying over, and, and Hondo did it, he jumped and goes flying over this Grand Canyon-esque type ditch. I, laid, I let out this yell. Again, in my memory, this kind of, again, John Wayne-esque, like, manly yell. When really it probably sounded like a like a five-year-old girl when, when a spider lands on their arm. And they let out this shriek. That's probably what it sounded like when I was going over this Grand Canyon-esque ravine. Um... Uh, But anyway, we land on the other side, just, bam, crash, I hold on, I'm still on the horse, Hondo's still on his feet, and he's still running. I mean, it didn't even phase him, we're just going full speed still, going across this field, and now there's the big line of trees, I mean, this just gauntlet wall of huge towering trees coming up, and I'm like, does he just have suicide on his mind, is he a kamikaze horse now, he's just going straight for the trees, he's going to end us both, to teach me a lesson, that's what I'm thinking as we're flying towards these trees and 50 yards, 25 yards. I'm pulling back as hard as I can. Please, Hondo, stop, please. And we come five feet in front of the trees and Hondo just puts on the brakes and stops. And I go flying up. I'm, I'm on Hondo's neck now. I mean, I'm just holding on tight. I get myself back in the saddle. And Hondo's just still just like, you know, yeah. Yo, what did you think about that? You thought we could go fast and here we are. And uh, I, I remember just being on that saddle and just thanking God. I mean, just praising God and just for, for first because I'm alive. You know, just thank you, God, that I'm still alive, that Hondo did not have suicide on his mind for both of us today. But then also I remember this just profound sense of thankfulness coming over me. As I sat there on this amazing horse, this incredibly designed fast horse in this amazing country surrounded by these mountains and trees, I remember this this thankfulness coming over me. And I remember thinking to myself, I just experienced a horse fully being a horse. Just fully being the way that God had designed this horse, this incredibly fast, strong horse. And I fully got to experience it. Like he didn't even think a rider was on his back because I think Hondo forgot I existed a long time ago. So he was just being himself. And that image, that metaphor, that experience has always stuck with me. That reminder of, man, what would it be like for all of us if we got off that trail ride? That boring trail ride where we're just following the horse's butt right in front of us. And literally, that's what it feels like a lot of times, especially if you work in corporate or in an office. I'm just saying, sometimes it can feel like you're following a big horse's butt. Maybe that's just me. Sometimes you're the horse's butt. Let's be honest, some people are probably saying the same thing about you. I know they have about me. But you're just on this trail ride. You're all on this trail ride. And you're all just fighting for, like, the grass on the trail, the trail, the, the trampled trodden down trail you know there's nothing there it's been ridden on so many times and so everybody's just kind of fighting to get that piece of grass or you know I just want to get I want to get in front of the ho- horse in front of me I just want to get in front of that horse you know And so horses are just jockeying to get in front of each other so they can be in sixth place instead of seventh place you know and it's just that's life this boring dusty trail ride where you thought you're going to be riding on a horse full adventure and now you're just following this horse's butt in front of you But then there's these times, right? We've all experienced it where you get off the trail ride and you go explore. You go get lost a little bit. You go and explore the unknown. Like I've said before, all explorers have to first get lost. And you just take off and you start discovering who you are when you're not following the horse in front of you. You just start discovering the way that you're designed, the way that you're wired. You know what I've called for many years, your signature sauce, like this master chef in the kitchen who's bringing all these ingredients together, these experiences, their story, their family history, all their failures, different trials and errors. They're bringing it all into the kitchen and they're bringing it together into this flavor. This flavor that took years and failure and traveling and and then remembering what it was to be just who they are, their family, their story. And they tell that story literally through that flavor that they present to their guests. And those are the chef's that are wildly successful, that are able to tell that story because they've mastered their signature sauce. And I think each one of us are that master chef. Each one of us are in our proverbial kitchen bringing our story, our values, our strengths, our experiences, our skills all together and we're putting it together for this flavor, uh, this substance that the world needs. The world needs more of us presenting who we are, what we have to offer to the world, instead of just following the horse's butt in front of us. I loved uh, this quote from Parker Palmer. I think, he's, I think he wrote it in Let Your Life Speak, one of my favorite all-time books. Parker Palmer is like this wise old sage, just dispensing wisdom in every page of that book. It's a small book, but it's so rich. And he talks about calling as um, claiming your authentic selfhood. That your calling is about claiming your authentic selfhood. So it goes back to that question of what would it look like? What would my life look like? What would the world look like if I were okay just being me? And and when I say that, I mean, I, I I don't mean we don't change. I don't mean that we don't grow. But we change by becoming more of who we were meant to be. We change by claiming and owning, refining, defining more of who we are instead of chasing some figment of this person that we thought we should be or that our parents said we should be or our girlfriend or boyfriend wanted us to be instead of just claiming and owning who we are. The things that make us come alive, the things that make our soul jump and get excited, and just saying, "Yeah, I want to, I want to pursue that," because that is so wired into my DNA of who I am. I want to get off the trail ride and run full speed like Hondo, just fully being the way that God has designed me to be. And I'll leave this with a, a quote uh, from a, of a gentleman named uh, Paul Graham. He is, is in the business realm, so he's not this Parker Palmer just theologian, thinker, professor. He's Paul Graham is in the business realm, and he's helped start you know a, a different uh, startups like Airbnb and Reddit. I mean, he's just this uh, venture capitalist type person, uh, this think tank type guy. And he talks about, just in a practical business sense, what we've been talking about in this episode, but he says it in different terms. Paul Graham says, remember the greatest danger you face in the world today is that you are replaceable. Your only salvation— is to mine your uniqueness, to combine various skills that set you apart. No one can do what you do. This is your end game. So this is not pie in the sky, you know, young, naive thinking of oh, go be yourself. You know, no, no. This is practical, strategic, stepway, step by step for you being successful. By you honing and owning who you are and then leveraging that to be successful in the world, in the sphere, in the place that you are right now. And we need more people being like that. Getting off the trail ride. And I think sometimes the trail ride for too many of us is our phones. Is constantly being on our phones, reading the next headline, reading what others are telling us we should think, reading what others are saying about who we should be, what we should care about and we're reading it from some other person instead of putting the phone down, getting off the trail ride and just wandering out into the wilderness, proverbial or real to figure out, okay, God, you've designed me in a certain way. How do I be who you have made to be instead of chasing this version of success that everybody else is chasing? So that's the question for all of us to think about. What would it be like if I were okay just being me? Thank you, everybody. This is Paul Angron... <laughs> can't even say my name. Talking about wanting to be me and I can't say my name. This is Paul Anthony Angoni, son of Louie and Ginger Angoni. And this is the All Grown Up Podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and be yourself out there. Thank you. All grown up. All grown up.